Welcome to the very first episode of Front End Happy Hour, the show where we, over drinks, talk about everything front end developments. Since we are a happy hour show, we will be enjoying drinks while we discuss today's topic. Each week, we will also choose a keyword that we will all drink to each time it's said. For audience participation, we encourage you to drink along each time the keyword is mentioned. What have we decided today's keyword is? Tools. Tools. <laughs> awesome. So every time we say tools, take a drink. Just to be clear, that's JavaScript tools. JavaScript tools? It could just be tools in general. <laughs> we have an exciting episode today where we debate a Medium article published at the start of 2016 that talks about the state of web development. The article titled The Sad State of Web Development was written by Drew Hamlet and provides his thoughts on things that are troubling to him about front-end development. In this episode, we'd like to share our opinions and thoughts on this particular article. Whether we agree or disagree, we're going to debate whether it's a good article. Before we get started, I'd like to take a moment to introduce Frontend Happier Hours panelists. Let's have each of us go around and give a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is. Derek, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Um, so I'm Derek Showers. I am a uh, frontend developer at LinkedIn. And uh see, my favorite happy hour beverage is probably my favorite beverage, which I guess makes sense, right, um, is old-fashioned. So I just, happy hour at night doesn't really matter. Old-fashioned. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. My name is Ryan Anklum. I'm an engineer, or UI engineer at Netflix. My favorite front-end happy hour beverage has got to be beer. I'm, I'm from Wisconsin. Our baseball team is called the Brewers, so i stick with that all the way. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, my name's Jem Young. I'm also a UI engineer at Netflix. Uh, my favorite happy hour drink is probably gin and tonic. Can't go wrong with that. Nice, sweet, refreshing, any time of the day. Uh, my name's Augustus Yoon. Uh, I'm a front-end engineer at Evernote, and um, I think my happy hour drink, I'm pretty into the Moscow Mule. But nice. Uh, Where's your favorite place to get a Moscow Mule? I like the Martin's West in Redwood City. Exactly. <laughs> they make their own ginger beer. It's delicious. I'm Ryan Burgess. Um, along with a few of the panels here, I actually work at Netflix as well. I'm a UI manager there. My favorite happy hour beverage, I'm going to have to go with Derek's as well, is an old-fashioned. I've always liked them, and they are delicious. Anything whiskey, probably my favorite choice. Let's jump into the our discussion today. In the first sentence of this article, it reads, 2015 is when web development went to shit. Drew's statement is basically highlighting a lot of things in, in throughout the article, but a lot of it is focused on how it's actually front-end development's a lot harder. You used to be able to just open up a text editor, start writing some HTML, JavaScript, CSS. Things are now a lot more complicated and convoluted with tools to set up and get started. How do you guys feel about the statement? Is it true or do you agree? Well, first of all, clearly he wasn't around in the early to mid-90s, because <laughs> web development really, really was shit back then. Uh, right? We had IE6, IE5, a little yellow icon to let us know something went wrong, and someone click <laughs> on that, and God help us, right? So, no, he wasn't around long enough to know what real shit is. I have to agree with Ryan. Uh, <laughs> when I learned JavaScript, it was way back when. And the way to debug it was console log everything and alerts. Now, sorry, it wasn't console log. It was no, alert. it was alert. It was just alerts. You alerted everything. So it was like alert object, alert this. So we've come a long way, and it's it's much better now. I'll take that over uh, the 90s, early 2000s, any day. Yeah, I was probably not even born 
<laughs> I, I'm pretty young, but I, I guess they don't know. But um, but I mean, I I've, I've also developed in um, the older browsers, and yeah, you have to like use alerts in those older IE browsers. I think it's like just way easier to get jump started right now, like with all these like different like starter kits and stuff. Um, I do like kind of like have some sympathy for like what he's saying in some respects, but I definitely think like overall it is like better. Yeah, and I think I think the other thing that's that's obvious here is that the complexity of apps on the web has grown tremendously since the 90s, right? I mean, yeah, you could get away with just using JavaScript maybe 10 years ago, but I mean, you, you have it's a very different world that we live in now, and um, you know, I think we're, we'll get to later talking about single page apps and like, is that the way to go? But um, obviously, I think everyone would agree that there's at least some use cases for single page apps, right? And uh, you know, for that kind of stuff, you need uh, you need some sort of framework and tools to help you get started with that. Yeah, I guess you could write it from scratch. They've, there's a lot already taken care of. Like, why would you want to redo all that? Yeah, exactly. As Drew actually in the article starts talking about Node and NPM, he talks a lot about the microservice and things that come along with Node. Uh, he also references another article, engineers being basically magpie developers which what he means by that is that we're distracted by the next shiny thing. How do you guys feel about that statement? Is that accurate or do we disagree? I'm definitely a magpie developer. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. Um, that's one of the things I love about my job, right? There's always something new to learn. Nothing is, is stale and old and boring. Uh, there's always the next challenge right around the road. I love, love that. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I'm like, I feel like that's what keeps us on our toes as front end engineers. I feel like we're constantly having to see what's the next thing, like, how can we leverage it? Is it something useful to what we're working on? Or just sometimes it's worth just checking out and it's really cool to see what the industry is doing and like what's changing. Yeah, I think it's I think it's an advantage of being in an environment where there's so much open source stuff going on. I mean, there's we, what's the other option that we just all follow in line after, you know, one person builds something and then we just follow in line and all use that. I think that that's probably a worse alternative. Um, we could still be yeah. stuck on jQuery. Like, that could that could <laughs> yeah, be a exactly. thing. We could just be stuck on exactly. not not to hate on jQuery. Yeah. <laughs> it got us to an amazing place, which I feel like all the frameworks kind of do. They're stepping stones. They get us to something better and greater. And yeah, you could still be stuck on the old technology, but why? When right, something yeah. else makes your life easier or better, makes the user's life easier, better. Yeah. I think that's a great point because you know we're still learning how to do this shit. Mm-hmm. You know, without a lot of tools. Um, oh. <laughs> oh, tools. Come on, guys. Keep up. Cheers. Keep up. Cheers. All right. Um, no, what I'm saying is we're, you know, front-end engineering as a profession is really, really new, and we're still figuring out how to do this stuff. So that's why it's evolving, and that's why there's new tools. That's why there's something new and shiny every couple of months, because we haven't found the best way to do this yet. Maybe there isn't a single best way, but we're still learning and applying everything that we learn into these new tools. I mean... Yeah, I think I think like the alternative maybe is is that so I, I recently got into um, doing some stuff with Swift and uh, went through the tried to build my own app. It's it is some somewhat refreshing that that you're told how to do everything because you know you, you you learn one thing and then that's how it goes. But I could I could see how that would become rather annoying after a while. So it's, it is I think it's just nice to have the ability to branch out and kind of um, figure stuff out together as a community uh, versus having. You know, Apple decided all for you. So you mean when you say that, are you meaning JavaScript versus Swift? Is like JavaScript is pretty much like what we're talking about at that point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, I think you guys brought up some like good points in that. Like, it's like it's good if it's like something that's 
optimizes your process or anything. Like, I think there is like kind of this distinction between like, yeah, chasing shiny new things. It's good to explore them, but it doesn't make sense to like move everything over to that unless it's really helping you. And I think that might be what he like might be frustrated in. Like, all these people are chasing these shiny new things, and then it, like they're like, hey guys, let's all just do this. But it might not actually make sense. And I think it's like really important that they like distinguish like, hey, does this make sense for us and stuff like that. This would be a perfect example of something using the tools like Galt and Grunt. Cheers, <laughs> Is that you could have a team could have started with uh, something like Grunt, and then do you just automatically switch because everyone's switching to Galt? Does that make sense? Right. And like now the next new hotness is probably not using either, and then you're using npm. I do see his point is that when it makes sense to change, you're not going to necessarily change every. You know, every day you're not going to change a new framework or way of building something. That that makes a lot of sense. Maybe what he's getting at, and like the, the real truth of it is, is that sometimes we are very quick to adapt these shiny new things mm-hmm. without actually putting the necessary thought behind it or actually thinking about. Uh, like I think the npm and, and golf grunt thing is is a really good example. You know, people are like, oh, you know, I need to write this. I need to write all these tasks in golf because it's the way that everyone uses it. Or um, broccoli now is is. Well, at least in the Ember world, is pretty popular. I was just going to ask. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Is broccoli that unpopular right now? I didn't know that was a thing in Ember world. And it's the worst thing to Google because you just get a bunch of invention bills. That's awesome. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, you know, so if you're just watching SAS, right, you just need to compile it to CSS, you can easily do that with NPM. Like, it's not like you need to go and do all this. So I think we're, I think maybe that's what he's getting at, and I think he has somewhat of a point there. I think we do adapt things just because they're mm-hmm. new and then they're, like, they're new and cool. That's, but, a, that's a power of community, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if a tool is just new and shiny, it doesn't make things better, it's not going to have an, the adaption rate of something like React had, right? I and mean, React literally makes my life as a web developer way better. And, you know, the community's spoken about it. it. Everyone's implementing it, as he talks about later on in the article. And they're implementing it because it's a good idea. It, it makes our lives easier. It helps us produce production code and, and produce, you know, it features out faster and with less bugs. So, you know, there is power to the community. And what we tend to gravitate to usually is a step forward uh, in for web development. Well, and it's also tested, right? Like, that's the thing, too, is someone like Facebook created this framework because they were trying to solve a problem. And as they're building it, they're testing it on, you know, a fairly large website with a lot, large uh, amount of users actually using it. So it's tested. So they're using it. Other people are using it. It's, you know, open source that they're actually fixing these bugs and issues that come up. And so I think that helps too, is like it's tried and true because people are actually, you know, using it. So the more people use it, the better. Yeah, that um, actually reminds me of a talk that I uh, saw at a conference once about jQuery and like why you should use jQuery nowadays when you can do essentially everything. If you're not supporting legacy browsers, you can do everything in JavaScript. But one of the things they mentioned, which I thought was a really good point, is it's tested. So like if you're doing everything in JavaScript, you have to write a shitload more unit tests to make sure mm-hmm. that you're, you know, you're, you're getting what is going to work and, and yeah. you shake where it's already you get it for free yeah you get it for free yeah and actually I think to me uh, you know as I kind of joked about you know still using jQuery I think it was so powerful that jQuery actually made JavaScript so great because you're actually able to support like legacy browsers like I remember having to support IE6 there's no way that you could have done all the latest and greatest browsers and still supported IE6 without something like jQuery to get us there the output that we had when we switched to jQuery, my job 
so many years ago was amazing, right? When you go from writing vanilla JavaScript and having to do all these shims or whatever for, for all these other browsers from that to jQuery, I mean, we shipped so much more code. Mm-hmm. More reliable yeah. code, too. Yeah, it was better mm-hmm. code. It wasn't always the greatest idea. We, <laughs> <laughs> when we got jQuery, we decided to jQuery the hell out of everything we ever did, but... And did you, like, write jQuery plugins for everything, too, at that point? Oh, yeah, everything. <laughs> <laughs> that was the way to go. I look at it like this. I've heard, like, the vitriol against JavaScript that evolves, and, like, we don't know what we're doing. We're constantly re- uh, reinventing the wheel, but you don't have to do it. Like, no one's making you... JavaScript, at the end of the day, is still going to run the browser. If it runs in the browser, then, like, that's what's current. Like, no one's making you use run or gulp or broccoli or something like that. Or None of those tools. None of those tools. None of those tools. <laughs> <laughs> And I hate to say it, I mean, and you can always switch languages. Like, if someone's not comfortable with on the front end, like, that's just the nature of being a front end engineer these days is keeping current. You can switch languages. Like, C doesn't evolve that fast, Java. And I'm like, I'm not hating on this guy or anybody in particular, but I've heard, like, JavaScript is evolving too quickly and you guys don't know what you're doing. I've heard that a lot from a lot of different yeah. engineers. And, like, I don't know, I think at this point it's getting old because JavaScript's the dominant language in the world. Like, it used to be PHP, but... Not every site runs PHP, but everybody runs JavaScript. So I say JavaScript's number one language of the world. So it's like, I think we just need to get over it and accept it. Like, that's just the nature of things. So it's interesting because the one thing he does talk about in the article is uh, he says every developer that basically uh, writes, every developer that goes through university or through college or whatever should write, write an application in Node, deploy to production, and update their dependencies three months later, and that no one will, no one will want to do front end development. But yeah, I mean, from what you just said and from like a lot of people, I feel like that's not a common <laughs> The truth is I've felt like that way too. I've had a dependency patch version break my code. Yeah. Um, you know, the developer, whoever wrote the module doesn't really understand what a patch was. It's not supposed to be breaking, but it changed the API and it broke everything. So I, I felt that pain, um, but we solved that pain and we started shrink wrapping our, our dependencies and that were pinned to a specific version. And then... I haven't had that problem again. Yeah, I think that actually brings up a good point. Shrink wrapping is a perfect example of that, is that you can actually kind of mitigate that risk by, you know, leveraging other people's packages and, you know, having to update. It's like that. That's a perfect example of why you would use shrink wrap. And uh, that's that, is that problem unique to JavaScript? And what about Ruby gems? Is there no Ruby gem dependency ever broke things when someone repped a, a module or? True, but he, he does. Only JavaScript? He does reference Ruby in here and saying that it's like, Basically, they that we took everything that was great in Ruby and rewrote it for JavaScript. Is that a good statement to say? Like, I'm, I don't think, and he calls it the official motto. I, I don't agree. I'm like, I know gems are very similar, but I, I actually disagree. I think there are differences. I, I guess I'm not a huge Ruby guy, so maybe I'm wrong to say that, but I would love to hear your takes on it as well. I don't do much Ruby. Yeah, I don't do much Ruby. <laughs> I, I've definitely heard that before from people that are are well versed in, in Ruby. But um, sure, I mean, I'm sure we. I mean, every language starts that way, right? Every not any language different start, but like all the, the frameworks we have around, you know, Node and NVM stuff like that. The people that were involved in that could have been strong components of Ruby, and it, it got its influence into JavaScript. But I I don't think that it's the official motto. <laughs> yeah, I know, maybe heard, maybe that was a big I missed that, but I never heard like JavaScript, the Ruby. No, no, yeah, me neither. <laughs> I think his point about MTM modules is kind of spot on a bit. We do have probably too many MTM modules. Mm-hmm. As someone that's released a, a few myself, like I probably don't need to. 
I probably should roll those back and let someone else have the name. But, <laughs> but it's it, fun. Oh, it, yeah. oh, it's yeah. absolutely it's fun. fun. I really I, should I love to get module to process a form. <laughs> <laughs> but Why not? <laughs> but I think, okay, to, to that point, basically we're making, you know, making smaller microservices, whatever you want to call them, but we're basically making something that does something really well. And so I kind of like want to challenge that as being, is that a bad thing to basically write a function that does one thing well, and then you create a module for that that someone else can use? Yes, it only does that one thing, but is that a bad, you know, is that bad to do that? I feel like it should only do that. So actually, um, I, I was actually contemplating this, and I remember stumbling upon, um, you guys have seen Trace or us, the guy who has like tons of contributions on GitHub. Oh, he has yeah, yeah, tons yeah. of modules. Yeah, he's just incredible. And he had, he did this anime, and this guy asked this like exact question, like, what, what are your thoughts on like one line modules and stuff? And I actually like quoted him, so I'm just gonna like say this, like, uh, by making small focused modules, you can easily help build large complex systems without having to know every single detail of how everything works. Our short memory is finite. In addition, by having these modules as modules, other people can reuse them, and when a module is improved or a bug is fixed, every consumer benefits. And I think that's, like, a really good point. So, like, it's... And he also goes on to, like, kind of say, like, this wouldn't really be possible if it weren't for how NPM works right now. Like, it's just, like, it's, like, we should be, oh, like, modularizing things so everyone, like, can get them. So we should, we should be embracing NPM, basically, right. it's, like, by that. Yeah. That same. Mm-hmm. So I've talked. So if you if you listen to the people on TC39, like what they actually say, um, modules are huge. My sure. favorite ES6 feature is the module system. Yeah. It's because to me, like spread, rest, all that, like like constants, like awesome. But the module is most powerful because that's going to allow you to write JavaScript, just like Augustus was saying, like individual tiny modules. And that's what the people on TC39 want. Like they're saying that's the future of JavaScript, not monolithic apps and monolithic like jQueries anymore, like, it's probably not going to exist anymore in the future. It's going to be all tiny modules pulling what you want. It's like what jQuery plugins try to be. Absolutely. I think that's, that's like, a good way to put it. And I think it saves, like, basically it saves copying and pasting. Like, because you can literally use this function or module or, you know, whatever we want to call it at that point, but you don't have to copy and paste and put it into another script. You just use it. You can have unit tests specific to that actual specific function. That, that's huge. I think that's a lot better way to look at it. And I think when you're working on, on like big stuff, like companies that we work for, it, I remember when, when my first job as a developer, I was like, you know, I was trying to just do a carousel or something. I was like, is it okay to use a jQuery plugin for this? And, you know, everyone was like, oh, I'm not really sure. Like, <laughs> maybe, maybe just copy and paste it. Like, yeah, you know? yeah. But like, it's, it's, it, the cool thing about NPM modules, everyone, everything comes with a license, you know, like you, you have like, you, you kind of just, build it into your app as a module and you don't have to feel bad about reusing something that somebody else built. You don't have to feel bad about um, not reinventing the wheel every time. I kind of like that too is you're also not copying and pasting someone's code so it's not like you ripped it off. It's like, no, I've literally linked to this person's package and so yes, that's okay. There's the license. There's credit given. There's a lot of that. And I do like that. That's actually a very good point of like just going on to like stack overflow and copy and pasting like someone's <laughs> snippet. It's like you're actually saying, no, 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 I'm technically giving credit to this person. So has anyone else gotten burned by NPM? As you suggest, right? Write a big app and then try to update your dependencies three months later. Who was? Oh, I've been burned so hard. My last yeah. company, we were, it was like a small two man team. It's like, uh, I mean, my friend, you will do we were on the bleeding edge. We were proud of it. We were all like React beta, uh, React router beta, like everything beta. And then uh, when things actually went 
name we got burned so hard. Like we we screwed ourselves so hard, and we uh, you learn a lesson doing that. Like probably don't do betas for production code. But <laughs> I was just like, that keyword beta beta beta. I'm like. Yeah, it was cool to brag about. Yeah, like we're like, oh yeah, we're on React Router 18. What do you want? Oh, four? Oh, <laughs> and, yeah. Joke was on us in the end, though. You were the magpie developer. Oh, totally. <laughs> it was worth it though. For one glorious <laughs> three months, we were on the edge, man. We were on the edge, and it was live. So let's jump on to another section of the article. Obviously, this is going to hit one of our keywords, but he talked a lot about front end tools. Um, the article picks, uh, cheers, sorry, a little slow on that one. <laughs> so in the article, he picks on a lot of tools like, Come on. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> we might keep it up right now while you try and introduce this section. So in the so article, picks, what does he do? He picks on these <laughs> things like Babel, PostCSS, Gulp, Grunt. I agree with Drew that we do rely a lot on these extra pieces to build our application, but I think there is some positives and negatives to using them. These these things we use, I'm going to use the word tools. Cheers, all right. <laughs> uh, they do help us automate a lot of the tedious tasks that we'd normally have to spend manual time doing. And this actually helps us focus a lot on what we're actually trying to do to make features better, uh, make it our user experience better. Yep. So how do, how do you guys feel about that? Is it something that we should you know avoid using tools? Or, you know, just embrace the, the fact that they're there. It takes me some time to remember that. Here's, that one, but. here's my, my unofficial poll on why tools are great. Raise your hand if you would rather write CSS over SAS or less. I would never go back never. to exactly. CSS. Yeah. And you need a tool for that, right? I yeah. Mean, that's, that's why tools are great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the same thing's true of, like, since uh, I'm writing so much ES6 at work, it's ES2015, um, <laughs> whatever the um, magpie definition or title is. I like that. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, even for like the simplest of projects, I'm like setting up some sort of like, you know, uh, transpiler or whatever to, to write. Uh, I think that's yep. exactly, yeah. I think that's a great point. I had a, a shower thought today and it was... So I started off writing. <laughs> yeah, I, I have like good good ideas in the shower. So I like I started off writing C sharp and C sharp dot net, uh, and I was using Microsoft's IDE. Um, I forgot the name of it right now. Visual Visual Studio. Studio yeah. 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 So I started off using Visual Studio, and it was like the most fantastic thing because it was like it did this code completion and like builds for you and did all this fantastic stuff. And I, I came to realize that's actually what JavaScript tooling is doing. It's just not built into an IDE. So. If this were built in an IDE, we'd be like, oh, yeah, it just does that for you. But there is no one IDE that, like, does this. So we have to build our own tools till the IDEs catch up. And then by the time they catch up, <laughs> it is. Very good. And we've already moved on. But essentially, we just move that away from, like, big companies into the hands of smaller engineers. What do you guys think? That was my shower idea. I like the shower idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, actually, one thing that I do, I do want to talk about is, like, post-CSS... I feel like it's kind of misunderstood because it, I, I think he kind of sees post-CSS as a replacement for SAS and West, like in the article. And I, I like kind of disagree with that. He, he doesn't even really mention SAS that much in his article. And he talks about how post-CSS has all these plugins and it takes so much time. And I feel like the responsibilities are like different. Like SAS, I feel, encourages like way better code and like it solves a lot of issues that writing CSS you wouldn't have. And I feel post-CSS is more for like 
you know, like cleaning up, cleaning it up. Like I think a practical plugin for PostCSS is like removing vendor prefixes, so you can like just like so maybe like one like you're supporting all these older browsers, and you have all these vendor prefixes, and then later down the road when you don't need it, you can just like remove them with PostCSS. So. I agree. I think that's a perfect way to look at it. Is that it's not. It's not off by itself. It's like you still would use less right. or SAS, but you're able to use this after the fact and, mm -hmm. and clean up and support different browsers, versions that you're dealing with. I think that's a perfect example is that I don't agree with him saying that you actually, you know, he just really wants to use SAS. Well, yeah, you can use SAS, but also use post CSS with it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and yeah. And he, he, he like has this sentence where he says, I, like Postia says, I just want to install something and use it, not decide all the little plugins I want to use. But for PostCSS, it makes a lot of sense to separate that out into a bunch of small plugins because not everyone is going to like optimize or clean up their CSS code the same way. Maybe, maybe you want to leave the vendor prefixes in because you support older browsers and stuff like that. And that and that exists everywhere. It's not just in front-end development. Like, so I, I actually agree with this statement in some things. Recently tried to get on board with Vim because I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> it is. And, and I know there are people who love Vim, love Vim, but... Um, but my, uh, my big complaint against Vim is I'd rather just install something and be able to use it. I don't like having to look through a million different plugins to find out like what actually is making things behave the way I want it to. So I, I, I do, I do think he has a point with that, but I agree with you. Like with PostCSS, it's a little bit different of a situation. You're, it's kind of like you're taking parts of, you know, you're taking portions that you need to, in order to, to you know, everyone has a different circumstance. And, Agree with it, but not in this context. I don't have lots of things with my Vim config, just making it perfect. <laughs> yeah, I think Vim is a good example. Whereas, like, I'm like on the train of wanting to be good at Vim, but every single time I try and do it, I'm like, I know I'm losing time, and then I just go back to ever I was using in the past. Like, it's that's that's a hard one for me to get over that hurdle. I want to be there, and I know Ryan, you are there. I've seen you on it. Yeah, like I watch him on there. Damn, I wish I was that good. And yeah, I do I, want to I get totally there. agree. Like I'm like I look at people in awe like, as they're going through Vim screens super quickly, and I'm just like, wow, this is just like mesmerizing. Yeah. There's only one way to do it: to uninstall everything else. <laughs> yes. Ooh, that's yeah, a good that's idea. idea. Yeah. I took off Adam. I took off yeah. Sublime. I took off any anything that was easy to use. And just suffered. You just like suffered. went. You dove into the di deep end. You're like, I'm in. I'm I'm on the Vim bandwagon at that point, <laughs> and I'm not going back. It's probably a good way to do it. And you and you don't regret it. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. you love it now. No, I can't. I couldn't go back. Yeah, because I've tried to use other things, and I'm using Vim commands and Sublime, and just <laughs> my code and saving it and <laughs> shipping it. And no. in part of the article, Drew actually talks a lot of smack about. React and single page applications. Um, so not just React, but Angular, Ember, basically using frameworks and deciding whether or not people should actually be writing single page applications. He's also pretty hard on some companies that actually do use uh, React in their code, uh, places like Netflix, Yahoo, and Airbnb and Vimeo. He, he kind of like says that he's seen React. I think, Ryan, you mentioned earlier is that he's seen React in so many different places. Like we said, I'm not really sure that that's a bad thing, but I'd like to get your take. Is it bad to write a single-page application? Are we over-engineering something that could just be back to the HTML 1.0 old-school way of writing things? Are we adding more complexity for something that's not necessary? It's all about the users, right? I mean, I think a single-page application in 
most context is a much better user experience. I mean, could you picture Gmail as a traditional application? Every time you click that email, refresh the page, wait for everything to parse and the screen to repaint and reflow and everything again, that would... Every time I get an email, I have to refresh? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh, man, that would be obnoxious. So I think in, in most, not most cases, but there's definitely a, a good argument for single-page applications being a much better user experience. I think... uh you make a, like an excellent point, and he he makes a good point too, in that I don't think you always need a single page application. In that, uh, for instance, the team we work on acquisitions is not a single page application. We use React, but they're all one pagers. So I mean, that's a good instance where we don't need a single page application. But it's I look at it like you know my mom wants a website. I'm not going to go on AWS set her up with like her own server and like do all this fancy stuff at Nginx. Like, because she doesn't need it. Like, WordPress would be just fine for her. And same with single-page applications. You probably don't need them a lot of times. Uh, I see a lot of sites that... I guess I disagree a little bit, but... <laughs> That's good. I, you see a lot of sites where it's, like, fully over the video, like, Angular and, like, all this hotness, but it's really, like, maybe a two-page so site, I don't, and they I don't, don't need it. Yeah, and I don't know if you're disagreeing. Like, I, I think you're actually just making valid points, is, and Ryan was kind of saying the same thing, is that it's finding the right use case. Like, you can do it for no reason. Like there are per- perfect examples where you use just a WordPress site uh, for your mom's shop or whatever it may be. And that's perfectly fine. And you don't need to build a whole single page application over engineer it. So I think, yeah, I think both of you are kind of saying the same thing is it's like, there are reasons for something like Gmail being a single page app, but there's something like a small website with the contact us and like about us. It doesn't really need to be um, a single page application. I think too. So the so he calls out uh, Airbnb's essentially their their, their page <laughs> calls out their details page, right? So I think like just looking at this, there's things that that give you um, immediate feedback, right? So like you pick a, a check in date, you pick a check out date, it tells you right away if those dates are available. Whereas I feel like something React is something like React. I'm not and I'm not the React person at the table just to clarify, <laughs> but I feel like something with, like React is is a smart move in this situation because. Yeah, it's, it's the whole thing doesn't need to be a single page app, but there's, there's an element on the page that needs to give you that immediate feedback, right? And that's what's great about React, as far as my understanding is concerned, is there's, there's a component on the page that you can kind of manage separately from the rest of the page. So, um, I think this is a great example of using React. Um, and, uh, and the other thing that I would add is that we're in a world where people are so used to that immediate feedback, uh, especially with mobile apps, right? And that's what we on the libs, have to compete with, right? And that's what that's what you always hear um, as as a, a huge advantage that mobile apps have is you have this uh, whether they come out and say it or not, that's what they mean, right? They're, they mean that you get immediate feedback. You 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 aren't waiting for page refreshes. Like I don't want to type in a check in check in date, a checkout date, and wait for the page to reload until it tells me it's not available. So I think uh, I think it's a perfect example of where it's, it's great to use something like React. Yeah, I think. Actually, summary enough about the mobile applications, probably a good example is like the only time you're waiting is that initial startup. But once your the initial startup is done, you're you're done. Like everything else is seamless. You, yeah. You're just like it loads, it's done. Maybe you have to do a little bit of data fetching, but not a lot. Like there's you're not waiting a ton. You're not doing a whole page refresh, whole re-render. It's like just a small component that's yeah. actually rendering. It's, 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 it's the difference between an app versus Versus a website, right? And, and that's what, that's, that's really all you can think about. You know, like, would I, would I, so a marketing website, would I create an app for that? 
I shouldn't. <laughs> That's overused sometimes too. That's overdone sometimes too. There's there's companies that are creating apps for marketing websites, which is just, you know, you don't need to do that. The same thing's true with single page apps to websites. You know, like Airbnb is an app, so it's I think it makes sense to go single page app. You're you're booking a vacation. It's it warrants it. You know, this easy to to get through flow. Exactly. Totally. I mean, I think HTML. CSS and some Ajax would probably solve like 80% of use cases out there. And people are just like, oh man, I gotta build an app because it's like hot. Which is, I think it's pretty cool. But yeah, I agree with everybody here. <laughs> Most of the time you don't need an app. And I mean, think about what an application is versus a website. I think the, the line's gotten a little muddled. And I think that's why we're at where we're at today and why you saw this long rant about single page apps. I want to challenge you though, too, on you, the one point you said about like, you know, doing a sign-up flow or something like that, is that would it be bad if it was a single-page app because it might be a little bit quicker, you know, I know, like, some of the stuff that you've been working on is, like, yeah, it's maybe not, it's more that traditional, like, page by page, but if it was a single-page, would that be wrong? Mm, no, it, it would definitely work for, without getting into, like, too much detail about what we actually do, because that's another podcast, but, yeah, it would totally work. Would it increase complexity? Probably. Right now, it's it's easy to jump in as like someone pretty new to Netflix. Like it's easy to jump in because like this page is this page. There's no like yeah. React router behind it or anything like that. What about from a user's aspect from something like that? Right? I mean, you're gonna pay the tax. Either you're gonna have to download a, a bigger JavaScript payload, bigger CSS payload for a single page application. So you're gonna wait for that page. The time to interactive might be a little bit slower. But if it's an old click refresh, you're still you're gonna wait between those those state changes in the application. So which one's better for the user? That's a good question that I'm actually not sure how to answer. It's a good question. Like, because are they, you know, people are so used to getting immediate feedback that they can get bored waiting for the page to load and, and leave right away, or is it that transition between pages that's going to lose your user? Where's, where's the, where you draw the line? Though? Yeah, and I think it's like the, someone coming to your page for the very, very single first time. I feel like maybe if you could almost balance the two, that maybe the first home page is kind of separated from like the rest of like a sign up flow or something like that. That that might make sense is that you kind of break those two from like maybe your home page is like not part of that single page app because then you're not downloading all that extra, but maybe the next step in the sign up flow or whatever it may be, maybe that's where it is. Like, I'm not sure because I do agree with you is like we're, we're so trained to be like, Oh, too slow. I'm out. Like, and especially for the first time visiting something, you have no idea how long that's going to load. So if it takes extra just to load that first single page, that would be yeah. terrible. And that's where that's why we're doing all this isomorphic stuff, right? We're paying a huge tax um, to render these applications isomorphically now, or universally. I'm sorry, <laughs> wrong so word, but that. yeah, let's drink to that. <laughs> so yeah, now we're paying this huge tax to render these applications universally because that fraction of a second we're going to save up front is worth it to the user's experience. And while they have something to see right away, it can be loading up that JavaScript and making the page interactive, interactive while you can actually see something right away it's not a blank screen. That's a good point. Yeah, I feel like uh, I, I, it, it does get kind of convoluted with like SPAs and stuff because like you're, you are trying to create this like seamless experience where like you're trying to make, especially like with the login flows, like like make that experience as like quick and like, like clean as possible. Like I feel like you know, there there are definitely situations where SBAs don't make sense. Like if you're just making like a random landing page for like an email, like hey, like people come to this and it's just like upselling like 
registrations or something. Unless, or maybe that goes into some flow or something if you wanted to make that seamless. But yeah, I, I think it's also interesting how he points out like you shouldn't build an SBA and he like goes really strong with this. He says, when you think you need an SBA, just stop thinking, just don't. Your users just don't fucking care. And I don't know. I, I felt like that's kind of an interesting thing he said because, you know, if my users don't care and like it's better if we, if we feel it's like a better seamless experience for them, why, why not do it? Well, that's the funny thing is we've actually all made that point is that <laughs> yeah. it's better for the user experience. Yeah. And so he is literally saying that it's not. And I, I disagree with that. The I think care. it's, if the yeah. users do care. Yeah. And if they're waiting in between every single page, like mm-hmm. that's just a painful experience. And you have complete control when you're doing that, right? Like if you want, if you feel that it's a better user experience to make them wait a second or two, because I sometimes I've heard that that actually mm-hmm. makes sense because when you're saving something, if you click, right away and it switches your view immediately it, that gives off the perception that the user doesn't feel like it actually is safe but you have complete control with a single page app right like you make you can fake the two seconds you can fake the second whereas if you're you're dependent on a, a, a page refresh you have no idea how much that time is going to be that's and we're, and we're so we take it for granted i think at least i do i'll speak for myself it, it's san francisco sitting on top of servers that are that are you know right here you know it's so quick but like if you're in, in you know, in other countries, you you realize this pain. Sure, yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, to speak to that, we're in a bubble. Like, we definitely, in Silicon Valley, we have faster speed internet connections. And you're right. Is like, so someone in, say, India or someone where it's maybe a bit slower connection, yeah, they're going to experience those pain points even more than we would here. So I think that's a good point. I think I've just been burned by too many single-page apps in that... If I log into something, okay, JavaScript download, I'm in the app. But I click something, and then it's got to, like, reload again. Like, at that point, what do we do? You know, it, you could just build that website. Because if you build it properly, like Ryan's saying, yeah, it should be seamless. It should everything, All the data should be loaded, like, prefetch everything. But a lot of times that doesn't happen, and then I end up in this, like, terrible state where it's just, like, I see where he's coming from. Like, why, why is this an app? I could build a website and... At least that way I can refresh and I know I'll be back to where I started. So my biggest pet peeve, I think, is like adds to that is when you're in a single page app and you, you do a couple interactions, maybe you're technically loading that fake page or different panels or whatever you want to call them, like different states. And then you hit like the back button and it just takes you back to like Google, like as you yeah. Googled their site. And I'm like, no, like I should be able to hit back and be able to go back through those interactions even though it's a simple or single page application at that point is you should still be able to interact with it like it's not. And that is my biggest pet peeve. I know it's extra work, but it's totally worth it. And it makes the user experience that much. Well, nowadays it's so easy to manage that too. Yeah. I mean, it's, I say it's more work, but it's, it's an extra step. Yeah. yeah. I guess that's maybe what I should say. It's an extra step for single page apps is most of them. I don't know so much about react because I know there's more you have to do, but uh, Ember, (laughs) (laughs) And even Angular, I'm sure, they manage it for you, so you don't have to think about that. So that's another great example of, if you're using just jQuery, mm-hmm. you have to think about that. For you, sure. have to, you have to write that yourself. <laughs> yeah. Or find a jQuery plugin that yeah. does it. All right, to end our episode, we're actually going to take something from JavaScript Jabber, uh, where they talk about uh, various picks and things that they like, whether they mention various frameworks, uh, things they're reading, or tools that they like to use. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> But basically anything that they're using that, you know, would be useful. So 
would like to share with our audience anything that we find useful and would like to share back with the community. Derek, do you want to kick it off with your picks this week? Sure. Um, so my first pick is Let's Encrypt. Um, it's an open source, um, essentially uh, SSL, uh, way to get an SSL cert- certificate. And it's really easy. Like I looked at it a couple of months ago. I was like, oh, you know, I'm not sure. It was still in beta. Now it's in public beta, so it's increased um, its, uh, its exposure, I guess, to everyone. But um, yeah, it's all you do is if you have um, if you're running Apache, you literally run like two lines, and it's it sets up everything for you. What's great about that is then you can use web workers, which is something I just added to my personal site, um, which is awesome. So if you want HTTPS, which everyone should be on, and I think it's becoming more and more popular, um, it's definitely a really easy way to do it. And you don't need to have Apache, but that's the easiest one to set up because they have a script for that. Um, and my second one is um, I thought everyone had heard about this until I talked to Ryan today, and he's like, what's, what's, <laughs> what's this? Uh, product Hunt. Um, awesome. If you're really into, if you're into, like me, finding out about new products, um, it is, yeah, ProductHunt.com is awesome. I recently found out I actually have the ability to add new products to it. I don't know who invited me. It's like invite only, but I guess the comments I made were like, there were so. valuable comments. Yes, yeah, they were valuable. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's uh, they they separated out into tech, games, uh, gaming, and um, podcasts. So um, if you're looking for, they do a new uh, everything's uploaded. They do a new thing every day. So if you're looking to just find out about new products, it's definitely check out. Are you going to add front and half hours of the podcast? I mean, of course. All right, I'll do it for it. <laughs> Ryan, your picks. So my two picks. Uh, the first one is the website frinkic.com. And if you're a Simpsons, a crazy Simpsons fan like I am, this is probably one of the greatest websites ever created. Uh, it basically takes every episode of The Simpsons, scrapes all of the uh, audio from it, and you can search every episode for any quote that any character makes. You can export it into a MAME, uh, download a graphic or an image. Um, an image. Um, so yeah, it's changed my life. I lost a, a lot of hours because of this website so far. Um, and I wasn't really surprised that you put this one on here either. We all know no, Ryan loves. No, if anyone Simpsons. knows me, uh, probably would be surprised in my first pick. Um, and the second pick is the Red Rising trilogy. Uh, if you're into sci-fi at all, this book, these three books are just absolutely amazing. I've spent many, many hours reading them and reading them over and over again, listening to the audiobooks. This is an awesome story. Uh, so, yeah. And then my third pick, I know I don't get three, but I'm taking three anyway, is the word tools. <laughs> I actually bought the first book in Red Rising just because you said it. Yeah. It, it looked interesting. I love sci-fi. So. Yeah, you gotta gotta get through the first hundred pages of the first one. It starts off really slow, and then from the about the hundred page mark of the first book all the way through the second book till the last book tapers off a little bit. Um, but yeah, the first the last two thirds of the first book and the entire second book is just awesome. I couldn't put it down. I sat down and just read it. I was, I was brushing my teeth. I had that book in my hand, and I was <laughs> drinking coffee. I had that book, and it was. An amazing, amazing book. Looking forward to it. I hope awesome. so. Awesome. <laughs> now we're all going to be re- reading Red Rising. Uh, Jim, what are your picks for this week? Yeah, I have uh, three picks. First one is SyntaxCon. It's in South Carolina. 
May 5th and 6th, I'll be speaking there about uh, service workers and the future of JavaScript. So, you know, if you guys want to come on out, I'll buy you a coffee. Are you, are you buying your tickets? Uh, yeah. Send me like a good haiku, and I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll see. Ask me about JavaScript though. Um, second one is Planet Money podcast. Let's do it on the shuttle and work. Podcast. I love Planet Money. It's like one of my most favorite things in the world. Um, third one is MacBookSelfieStick.com. Uh, just go there. You just have to see it. Uh, definitely get one if you can because they're amazing. But. Wait. Uh, I have to ask. Are you going to get one? Forum workout. Yes, I am. Oh. <laughs> I like that. A forum. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to uh, get one and then ride, hang off the shuttle and then take one going down like uh, Market Street or something just so everybody can hate tech. Properly. <laughs> even like, more. You're even more. Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to feel Silicon like Valley hatred even yeah. more. Yeah. Awesome. Augustus, what do you have for us this uh, yeah, I was just looking into um, this new thing that uh, GitHub posted called Scientists, and it's basically uh, this like experiment framework where they made it easy for them to like test um, to switch between legacy code and like new experimental code, and then like run it, and then uh, they can get like their analytics, I think, on how it behaves. Um, I'm still kind of looking into it, but it's definitely something that seems really interesting. Are you um, saying this is yet another tool? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So it looks really interesting, but I'm still kind of looking into it. So. Great. Uh, and so my picks for this uh, episode, I've chosen uh, the Viking and Lumberjack series, which is an accessibility web series uh, video on YouTube. And it actually has uh, two of my friends that uh, star in it which is Bill Gregory and Carl Groves, who actually are the Viking and Lumberjack. And so they talk about everything accessibility. Uh, so definitely worth checking out. It's pretty comical, but also you learn. So it's, it's great. And then my second pick would be the O'Reilly Fluent Conference, which is happening in San Francisco next week. From Netflix, we actually have quite a few. I think there's three speakers um, who will be speaking there. Uh, there's a lot of great talks. It's actually probably one of my favorite conferences. So. Definitely worth checking out. Hopefully you can make it out to San Francisco. Really good conference. Anything else that anyone wants to add? How about uh, everyone add their where we can get in touch with you on Twitter? Derek, want us to kick us off? Yeah, so mine's pretty tough. Um, at Derek Showers. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I am a Bittersweet Ryan. Oh, I am Jem Young. <laughs> Oh, just at Jem Young. At Jem Young. Okay. And um, I'm at Humberto, A-U-G-D-U-R-T-O. And I'm Burgess D. Ryan. Wait, do we have a, uh, this podcast have a Twitter? This podcast does have a Twitter. It is at FrontendHH, so Frontend Happy Hour. So throw all your shade at us, so tell us how much you disagree with everything we said. Tell Ryan why The Simpsons sucks. Oh, do not tell Ryan that. That will be a long discussion. We don't, we don't want Twitter. We, don't, we do not need that. Tell me how many. Tell us how many times you drank um, the word tools. Did anyone? That would be keep, great. Did if anyone keep trying? We should have a contest. Cheers. And cut. That concludes our very first episode of Front End Happy Hour, the podcast where we discuss front end development over drinks. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Front End HH, and let us know all tools keywords that we missed uh, in this episode. We may need to make up those drinks on the next one. 
Stay tuned for more episodes at frontendhappyhour.com. Thanks for listening.